Good morning. Ignore that for right now. You'll see that later. There we go. <coughs> uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of James, or if you want to use the bulletin, we're on our fourth week of Advent, the beginning of it. Now, Advent's part, or all of four weeks, depending on when Christmas falls. And Christmas being tomorrow, this is a short week of Advent. Uh, we do look forward to our service tonight and continuing our preparation and anticipation of our Savior's birth and our celebrations of it. And we've been working through our theme of light in darkness during this Advent season. And hopefully tomorrow they'll be giving and receiving of gifts and opportunities that we have to enjoy that. But regardless, we want to turn our attention to God and the gift that we receive from him. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gives himself to us, and it is everything that we need. Would you follow along as I read James 1, 16 through 17? And my focus is really going to be, sorry, 16 through 18. My focus will primarily be on verse 17 this morning. James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, crea of his creatures. Join me in prayer. Father, we do thank you for today and this opportunity to be together, and we pray that you would minister to us according to our need. Lord, we pray that your peace would be upon us, that your grace would be near to us, that your comfort would surround us. And Father, as we look in your word, we pray that you would, by your spirit, open our eyes, open our minds, help us to see what we need to see this morning. We pray for those who are not here, those who are not able to be here, we pray for them wherever they may be, that you would bless and keep them as well. But we pray a special blessing upon this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I forgot our response. Um, I got ahead of myself, so I'll do it now. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. About 10 years ago, maybe longer, I'm not sure, I really don't remember, I received a gift that when I first opened it, I thought, I don't know what to do with this. I, I, I didn't, it was not, it was a gift. I was thankful for it. Don't get me wrong, but I was like, what in the world do I do with this? And yet over time, and it only does one thing, but I have found that it provides repeated joy. Not all the time. Most of the time just sits in my office, but every now and then. I bring out Woodrow, Woodrow the woodpecker with his bright red hair who goes ups and up and down. And I often bring him out when, uh, when Don is talking with one of our preschool parents and maybe a preschooler is needing some distraction. Uh, only children who <laughs> aren't in the office for a bad reason uh, get to play with Woodrow. And I show them how he works and then I let them Make him go up and down. And it's great to see their 
faces light up. I didn't know that I needed Woodrow, but Woodrow's been a great joy to me. But Christmas is hard sometimes because we don't know what we need. We don't know what gifts to give. Sometimes we give a gift and are uncertain. Uh, Tim Keller says in his book, Hidden Christmas, that Christmas is about receiving presents. Yes. But consider how challenging it is to receive certain kinds of gifts. Some gifts, by their very nature, make you swallow your pride. Imagine opening a present on Christmas morning from a friend and it's a dieting book. Then you take off another ribbon and wrapper and you find it's another book from another friend, Overcoming Selfishness. If you say to them, thank you so much, you are in a sense admitting, for indeed, I am fat and obnoxious. In other words, some gifts are hard to receive because to do so is to admit you have flaws and weaknesses and you need help. Perhaps on some occasion you had a friend who figured out you were in financial trouble and came to you and offered a large sum of money to get you out of your predicament. If that has ever happened to you, you probably found out to the receive that gift meant swallowing your pride. And so we do acknowledge that giving and gift receiving is not always easy, though hopefully there is great joy in it in general. We don't know what we need. We don't know what others need all the time. We're not always good and perfect in our gifts. And sometimes the things that we want aren't what's best for us. We're simply looking for distractions from the difficulties that we face, and we're blind to our needs. Well, Christmas is an opportunity not only for us to give and to receive from family and friends, but to consider what the Lord gives to us, especially through Jesus. Jesus is the gift I didn't know that I needed, but has brought life and light and joy again and again and again. And last night, Kara asked me, she said, Dad, what's your theme? What are you preaching on? What's your theme? I said, here it is. The birth of Christ is the gift of all gifts. She said, Dad, that's kind of cliche. I said, yep, it is. Sometimes we need that. I didn't want to be too predictable. So I present you that the birth of Christ is the gift of all gifts. And so I want to talk about the character of the gift, the source of the gifts, and the constancy of the giver. So the character of the gift in this passage of James. James has been writing to uh, people that have been undergoing trial and difficulty. Their faith is tested, and he says, Count it all joy in verse 3. My brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. And then he goes on to encourage them to ask for wisdom from God because God gives that freely to us. And then he talks about temptation and not being deceived and led away, recognizing that desire and sin leads ultimately to death when we follow through on that fruit. And so then verse 16, James says, don't be deceived. You have these experiences in life, but don't be deceived, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters. And then he'll go into verse 17. James does not want to miss us to miss the reality about the gifts we receive and who they come from. So don't be deceived. 
every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights. The first lie that we often have to contend with, and I don't know if you would consider this the first lie from the garden that we looked at in Genesis 3, but it's certainly a part of the overall temptation and sin that Adam and Eve dealt with, and that is whether God is good or not. The lie that Satan presents is that God is absolutely not good and does not have your best interests at heart. Well, how do you contend with that? How do you work against that? Well, James wants you to hear that indeed God is good and that he, what he gives to us is good and perfect. Of course, the difficulty we face is that God is infinitely wiser than we are. And he knows all things, and so therefore he can know and does know what is good and perfect. We are less certain of our needs in our timing. But God does indeed give good and perfect gifts. And we see that in his followers. Uh, You've probably heard of Nicholas of Myra, Saint Nick, as he is sometimes referred to. But are you familiar with Lucia? or Lucia of Syracuse, better known as St. Lucy. I just found out about her. She grew up during the most severe persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. Christianity was illegal during this time, and many Christians were persecuted, and they fled and hid in the catacombs of Rome. They would hide down there, and they would have very little food. And she had devoted herself as a young woman to providing relief to these Christians. Of course, in the catacombs, it was dark, and so you had to carry candles in order to see. And what St. Lucy did, as she's better known as, she put a wreath on her head with candles in it so that she had more ability to carry more gifts to those who had need of it. Her father had died When she was five, and she and her mother were devout Christians, she made a vow to never marry, to serve the Lord, and to give her dowry to the poor. Unfortunately, her mother was in poor health and arranged for her to be married to a wealthy man from a pagan family, thinking that that's what she needed to provide for her. When she discovered that, uh, sorry, when the betrothed, the man that she was engaged to, if you will, discovered that that inheritance, that dowry was being used for the poor, he reported her to the governor. She was seized and ordered to offer a sacrifice to the emperor's image. She refused, and she was martyred in 304 AD. Hers was a good gift, even to the end of her life, just as with her Savior, light in our darkness is the gift of all gifts. And it is a counter to the lie that God and his gifts for you are not good. For indeed they are. Think about yourself. How much can you take credit for? Is there anything that you can say that you are the cause of? Think of what wonders are ours, what Gifts we behold every day and yet think nothing of. 
think of the mercies of God, the promises that those mercies are new every morning, that indeed the sun arose today to remind you of such. Ponder anew the gift of a Savior who came in a way that only God could plan and devise. Look into the manger and see a newborn, a servant yet a king, sinless yet became sin for us, son of God, son of man, the gift of all gifts. That's the character of his giving. And of course, that leads us to the source of the gifts, which of course have already been alluded to. They come from somewhere. They come from something, not of ourselves. Who? Well, every good and per every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Just goes from describing the gifts themselves to who gives them. And we aren't the ultimate source. I think you know that. Even if you built your own house maybe with your own hands, you say, I did that. Did you grow the trees from which you used lumber for? Did you make the stone or whatever materials that you use? No, none of that. Yes, you might have built it, but did you create it? Not ultimately. Ultimately, there is a source for these gifts, and James says they come from above. Why is that important? Because we need to know that there is something that comes to us from outside of this world. Why? Because in this world, maybe within hours of good gifts that you received, something will break. Or maybe you'll just want to smash that thing that's making the unending sound of music, right? Take those batteries out. Ultimately, we deal with hard realities. Jacob prayed it. We feel it. And yet, because our gifts come from God from above, then there is light in darkness. And this is true of the Incarnation. In the Christian story, God descends and reascends, C.S. Lewis says in his book, Miracles. He goes on to say, he comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. Further still, if embryologists are, embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb ancient and prehuman phases of life, down to the very root and seedbed of nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. It's not just that it comes down, but he's the source, not in some nebulous sense of coming down from above. James goes further and says, the father of lights. This is the first time James refers to God as father here, but it evokes Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7:11. If, it, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Most commentators understand this phrase, Father of lights, to be pointing to the Lord as the creator of the lights that we have in our world, the sun, the moon, 
the stars. We hear this in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so again, the sun rose today, and I made a point uh, several weeks ago, I think our first week, that we need the sun. I don't know if you think about the moon, but you also will appreciate the moon, especially if it were not actually there, because if there were no moon, then it would have consequences for the way that we experience the dynamics of this planet, different aspects of natural processes that we understand, tides, the cycle of day and night, our rotation, the Earth's rotation would change without the moon. And of course, the light that we observe in the night at times. Last night, the moon was fairly bright, and you could see quite well as you walked out in the nighttime. And what about the stars? How many are out there? I went searching for this answer, and this is what I found. It's not an easy answer. In the simplest way, someone said, maybe to estimate the number of stars in a typical galaxy and then multiply the estimated number of galaxies in the universe. And so that's on order of, I don't know, two trillion galaxies has been suggested somewhat recently, times 100 million stars on average in each galaxy. So someone do that math for me and tell me later. I, it's, it's an incomprehensible number. And then you get things like the Christmas tree cluster that you saw earlier. There it is. It's uh, about 2,400 light years away, I believe, and it's been rotated a little bit by uh, NASA types or someone, and it is called the Christmas tree cluster, and the lights that are bright are gases from the stars, or x-rays, excuse me, from the stars that light up on an observation. Amazing what God has given us in our sky. He is the Father of lights, that gift of light is not inconsequential and it speaks to the character and the source of the gifts. Both are beyond our capacity to understand, but not beyond our capacity to give thanks for what we receive. Right? I, I can't understand how many billion, trillion, gazillion stars there are, and yet I'm thankful for them. And that can be true at Christmas too. God the Father is good, and he is the source of all that is good, and we can give him thanks for that. Not only does James speak of the character of the gift or the source of the gift, he speaks of the constancy of the giver. I've given good gifts, and I've received good gifts. I've given thoughtless gifts, and I've received thoughtless gifts. I've probably given selfish gifts, and I've probably received selfish gifts but none of that is true of the lord it's not true of jesus he is the same yesterday today and forever and james points this out in two ways at the end of verse 17 every good and every perfect 
gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The first thing to point out is that phrase, coming down, in our English, is one word in the Greek, but it's a present participle. That is, God's giving of his gifts continues. It's present right now, and his good gifts to us are constant. So while at Christmas we rejoice in the birth of Christ, we recognize it as the gift of all gifts, but it is not the only gift that we receive. Think even after Christ comes and before he uh, goes to the cross, he promises what? Another gift to his disciples. He actually says, it's better that I go away because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And God gives us his word and he gives us one another. He gives us his grace in times of need. His gifts are continuing and they are constant. Not only that, in contrast to our experience of the light that the Lord has provided in the heavens, sun and moon and stars, the Lord does not change. So tomorrow when you wake up on Christmas morning, it's likely to be cloudy and gray. It may even be rainy. Your experience between one day to the next will change. And then next week we'll have a tornado. And then the next week, right? You know how that goes here, right? Our experience of those things vary. Some nights you can see by the light of the moon and some nights you can't see your hand in front of your face. Some nights you can see tons of stars in the sky. And some nights you just wish everybody would turn off their lights so you could see. Our experience of those things change. My days, just like the moon, wax and wane. My heart, just like the sun, is full and bright at times and at other times it is hidden by dark clouds. But my God, my Lord, never changes Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. And therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. If you want the theological term for this, this is the immutability of God. The unchangeable nature of God is one of the most comforting attributes of God. Especially if you know and believe that he is good. Regardless of what you experience, regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you receive tomorrow, God is good. And his goodness is constant to us. And if that's true, then I can trust the Lord to give me exactly what I need each and every day. Because he's good and doesn't change, then I can know that Jesus is exactly what I need. I change daily. My Lord does not. And the constancy of the giver is just that, giving good to us. I'll conclude with this. I saw another foreign commercial. So a couple weeks ago, I shared with you a commercial from Argentina. This one, I think, is from German. I don't speak the language. In fact, thankfully, there, was very, there wasn't actually any dialogue in the two-minute commercial. It was for something, though. I just don't know what. But it was a marvelous short film. It showed a single, older man 
first finding and then struggling to lift a kettlebell that he finds in a a detached garage that's surrounded by an assortment of junk. He can't lift it. He drags it outside out of this little detached garage. His nosy neighbor nearby sees him and scoffs. So he drags it back inside that little garage. The next scene that we see, he's waking up early in the morning. His alarm's going off. He turns it off. He gets dressed, and he goes back into the garage, and he begins to try to lift that kettlebell again. And as he does that, we see him place a picture frame in front of him. We only see the picture frame from the back, so we don't know what's in the picture frame. And then clearly it moves from fall to deeper into fall when snow begins to fall after leaves have come off the tree. And you get these little vignettes, these little scenes of him day after day lifting that kettlebell and holding it out in front of him. And then we come to the final scenes. He gets dressed up for an evening family gathering and is greeted by a woman that we know is his daughter. He walks into the foyer and his attention is caught by a a little girl, maybe four or five years old, coming down the stairs and he beams at her and she beams back at him. And he bends down to give her a gift. And she opens it. And in that gift, with wide-eyed wonder, she opens that package there is a star that goes on top of a tree. And he takes her over to the tree, and we see him bend down and pick up his granddaughter and lift her up so that she could place the star on top of the tree. His gift to his granddaughter was no ordinary gift. He not only gave the star, but he gave of himself and you know that in that picture frame it was his granddaughter because it cuts towards the end to a scene in that garage of that picture frame that he would sit in front of him of his granddaughter before him and in that is a picture of the one who gives us every good and every perfect gift the one who had you and me in mind when he set his son to be the light of the world to lighten our darkness and defeat all of the darkness around us. Stare with wide-eyed wonder again today and I hope tomorrow as you gather to open and share gifts with those who love you. Be reminded that there is a God who loves you and has given you the gift of all gifts. And I'll leave you with this from Tim Keller again in his book, Hidden Christmas. There's never been a gift offered that make you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life The light of the world descended into darkness to bring us into God's beautiful light. If you've never stepped into that light, then I invite you to make this Christmas your first. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you that you are the good and perfect 
gift giver. And something we celebrate at Christmas and we thank you for. We thank you for our gatherings. We thank you for family and friends. We thank you even in the midst of hard things. Because Lord, we know that you know infinitely more than we do. And you love us far more than we can imagine. And so I pray that within our thoughts, within our hearts, we would land somewhere around this place where we know that you are good and you are good to us. And we see that in the manger and we rejoice in that at Christmas. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.